OpenAI's ChatGPT can now see, hear, and speak. The announcement comes as competitors are jumping into the AI space. So what impact will this have on the tech sector? I'm Veronica Dudo. Let's find this out. This is In America Today from the Ticker News Studios in New York City. Hello and welcome. Coming up, a NASA space capsule carrying the largest soil sample ever scooped up from the surface of an asteroid streaked through Earth's atmosphere and parachuted into the Utah desert. Plus, Netflix is set to mail out its final red envelope this week, marking the end of an error for the company's DVD subscription business. But first, OpenAI has announced that ChatGPT can now see, hear, and speak. The company said the update to the chatbot will roll out to paying users in the next two weeks. OpenAI's big feature push comes alongside ever-rising stakes of the AI arms race among chatbot leaders such as OpenAI, Microsoft, and Google. For more, let's bring in Oz Sultan, the chief strategist with the Sultan Interactive Group. Oz, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. So OpenAI says ChatGPT will soon be able to understand spoken words, respond with a synthetic voice, and process images. How exactly will this work? So um, the new Gemini update that's coming out is incorporating something called machine vision. And what ChatGPT has been doing is moving towards generative AI. So what that means is, as opposed to putting in a text prompt and getting text back, you can put in a text prompt and you can get an image back very much like, you know, a number of other platforms uh, that are out there. Uh, but more importantly, you're going to actually be able to put a prompt in and have conversations with it. In the beta that it currently exists, uh, it's rendering text. But what we're looking forward to over the next couple of weeks as this kind of goes into a public beta is that you're actually going to have conversational capability. And this is interesting because up until this point, it's really been chat bots uh, that have been utilized largely for celebrities and that kind of a thing um, where the celebrities inside of Telegram groups are charging up to a dollar a minute. This sort of turns that model on its head uh, and it raises a lot of new questions. You know, uh, where are we with uh, your actual rights to your voice and your voice being replicated? Um, and even more important than that, uh, what are the privacy issues that are going to stem from this, given the fact that it's uh, recording and, and storing private chats? Now, what are some of the broader implications? You obviously talked about storing some of the chats and, and the different things with your voice. But, you know, we're just seeing this type of interactive technology ballooning every day. You know, um, I think the first and the biggest issue is privacy. Uh, what we saw with Zoom more recently was that they changed their terms of service, uh, saying that they can listen to recordings of your conversations to train their AI. So that raises, you know, private, privacy and security questions on a, a paid service. Um, but what's going to happen next is you're getting something that is, is closer to a a tool that 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 is really from science fiction and and less from silicon valley uh you're going to have actual capacity to speak 
with chat GPT and it's going to be able to render a multitude of different voices back to you. Um, so, you know, there's, there's questions about shut-ins. There's questions about how this might change the relationship that people have with technology. Um, but more than anything else, there's privacy and how Congress and other regulatory bodies choose to look at this, you know, that's going to be probably high in the agenda starting in January. Do you think this new rollout will motivate Congress? I mean, obviously, we saw so much was made about phone calls and, you know, being able to listen what we kept hearing, you know, quote unquote, spying on all Americans. Will this push Congress to try to get some safeguards in place? You know, I, I think all it's going to take is uh, some sort of simulated conversation with uh, the voice of AOC or the voice of um, McClatchy or the voice of, you know, any uh, congressperson uh, where they're saying something that's probably out of tune or, or you know, just nasty. Um, and the, the challenge that you're going to have is that they're probably going to want to clamp down on it. But there's there's a big question. You know, what is fair use? Um, how is copyright law applied to this? Uh, and then realistically, how much of your own identity do you own inside of this new world where you can leverage these AIs to render someone else's voice, to render someone else's likeness? Um, and in this case, with machine vision, uh, to almost simulate uh, someone that actually exists. Now, users will also be able to share images with ChatGPT and highlight areas of focus or analysis. You know, for example, it can ask what kinds of clouds are these in a photo? Is this where we're going to stand with technology? Uh, or do you think that there is more danger to advancements like these? This is just the tipping point. You know, um, a couple of years ago, Google had uh, art, uh, like uh, augmented reality tools where you could look at a plant and it'll tell you what kind of plant it is. Now what we have is we have uh, these uh, transformers, these AI transformers that are actually able to look at images with machine vision and to actually tell you within a, a reasonable degree of um, of error of what they're looking at. Um, so, you know, it starts now with photos. It's going to get more challenging once it starts getting into video. And I, you know, we talked about this on, on the show previously. By the time they release uh, ChatGPT 4.5, we may be looking at a brand new world in terms of what these tools can do, what they can render, and the challenges that they pose to perceived reality, specifically with video. Now, with the AI-generated synthetic voices, um, you know, we know it could be a more natural experience. However, this brings up the possibility of more convincing deep fakes. And of course, we're heading into the 2024 election. How concerned are you and other experts about this? Reasonably concerned, you know, um, right now you can go on uh, on Twitch and there's a 24 hour AI generated Trump versus Biden debate going on where they say a lot of silly things, right? Because it's it's AI generated and, and it's it's being fed, um, you know, a context from which it should speak. But what we're looking at now is the reasonable ability to clone not just someone's likeness, but their voice, their cadence, uh, their, their gestures, um, and doing that in a very convincing way. So as we're going into the election cycle, it's not just you know America that should be concerned because there's a lot of global elections coming up. And uh, the same thing that we saw recently with you know uh, Donald Trump Jr.'s uh, 
X, formerly Twitter, being hacked um, and a bunch of nefarious things being said. Imagine if, if that happened with actual video. So what are people to believe? How are they supposed to look at things? Um, and, and who's to say it's a hack? Who's to say it's not? So it is more than likely going to create some havoc going into the 24 cycle. And it is a serious source of concern. And with about 30 seconds left, Oz, you know, just looking at some of those cyber, cyber threats, you know, how big a problem will this be? I think that social engineering in terms of hacking could become uh, very germane again, specifically if you're using these tools. Um, and as these tools actually evolve over the course of the coming 18 months, um, we could see new challenges, new types of hacks, um, and new fraud emerging. And that's always the, the biggest question and the biggest issue on everyone's minds. Oz, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you. A NASA space capsule carrying the largest soil sample ever scooped off from the surface of an asteroid streaked through Earth's atmosphere and parachuted into the Utah desert. The gumdrop-shaped capsule touched down within a designated landing zone west of Salt Lake City. NASA's first ever asteroid sample return. It has been incredible. NASA scientists were celebrating on Sunday after a space capsule carrying the agency's first ever asteroid specimen to be brought to Earth parachuted into a designated zone in the Utah desert earlier in the day. The capsule was released from the robotic spacecraft OSIRIS-REx when it finally came close enough to Earth. It had actually collected its sample three years ago from the asteroid named Bennu. We can't wait to, to crack into it. At a news conference, OSIRIS-REx principal investigator Dante Loretta laid out the goals for studying Bennu. The key objective for me and one of the driving objectives of this program is to try to understand did carbon-rich asteroids like Bennu deliver the compounds that may have led to the origin of life on our planet. Loretta also said NASA went through extensive planetary protection reviews to make sure it was safe to bring home. Bennu is a near-Earth asteroid. Probably material from this asteroid has been delivered to the Earth at some point in the past. It's also a very small body that's constantly exposed to ionizing radiation, and no life forms that we, we know of would be able to survive that kind of environment. So very, very low uh, risk. In fact, we're more worried about Earth biology contaminating the sample. Discovered in 1999, Bennu is classified as a small near-Earth asteroid as it passes relatively close to our planet every six years, though scientists think it's unlikely to make impact. The final descent and landing of the sample, shown on a NASA live stream, kept a six-year joint mission between the U.S. Space Agency and the University of Arizona. It's only the third asteroid sample ever, and by far the biggest, brought back to Earth for analysis. The first two came from similar missions by the Space Agency of Japan. Netflix is set to mail out its final red envelope this week, marking the end of an era for the company's DVD subscription business. The streaming giant, which once revolutionized the way we consume entertainment, has slowly phased out its DVD rental service over the past decade in favor of digital streaming. It means the red envelope, synonymous with Netflix's early years, will soon be relegated to nostalgia. The DVD 
rental service was launched in 1997, predating the company's shift to online streaming, and at its peak, it boasted millions of subscribers. That's the program for now. More ticker right after this.